0: Welcome to episode three of AVEC IO. In this episode, we conclude our conversation with Steve Capon of Harvest Heating and Air Conditioning, and Derek Kwam of AVEC Design Build.
1: So let's, 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 no, let's let's beat up uh, let's beat up uh, uh, humidification in the winter in the winter time because that's a that's a quick kill. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. It's, my approach is if you're building a new home. Adding moisture to the house is not a given, okay? As tightly as structures are being built now. How tight? Tighter than goat lifts, <laughs> man.
0: <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's really tight.
0: That's a good point of reference.
1: Um, my recommendation, and Derek, you've seen this in my advice on other projects, let's, let's not spend the homeowner's money until we know we need to. Sure, right. Rather than loading them up with options, let's establish the fact that this brand new structure with a, great attention to detail to reducing infiltration, you know, spray foam, uh, insulation, you know, and all the the tricks of the trade to tighten up a house. Let's establish first that they need humidity in the wintertime, because frequently with cooking, showers, laundry, they're gonna have a moisture problem, meaning the accumulation of moisture and condensation occurring on the windows, okay? So my recommendation on new structures, it's an aftermarket item. It can always be added after mm-hmm. the fact. Don't automatically spend that money because your last house had one and you think you you think you need it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So in the wintertime, what happens is uh, we talked about relative humidity. When it's very cold outside, zero degrees, it can be zero degrees and 90% relative humidity. When that air is warm to seventy degrees, as infiltration air does, you know it sneaks in and then gets warmed up into the ambient temperature, and the furnace is adding heat. Uh, What happens is, is that dries the air out because even if it's zero degrees, ninety percent relative humidity, when warmed to seventy degrees, your living environment, that same air. Is probably below four percent relative humidity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the psych psychometric charts would would and you can actually you can go online and there are there are dew point and relative humidity calculators that'll tell you what what the uh, relative humidity would be when that air is warmed. But the point is it has the drying effect. Okay. So if your house has too much moisture, either by just pulling in outdoor air. When the furnace kicks on, a little damper swings open, and it pulls in some bone-dry outdoor air, that's going to absorb. It's going to have a desiccating effect. It's going to absorb moisture, okay? You can also get a heat recovery ventilator, which what it's going to do is suck stale air out of the house, pass it through an air-to-air heat exchanger. So it's going to look like this. It's going to pull in 70-degree air from the house. It's really moist, okay? We call it stale air. It's going to pass through the heat exchanger. And on the other side of this laminar heat exchanger, you're pulling in an equal amount of, or nearly equal, you can actually adjust that, but we're just, for the sake of our our discussion, we're going to talk about an equal amount of outdoor air. So we're going to pull out 100 cubic feet of air per minute of stale air, and we're going to pull 100 cubic feet of air of bone dry, fresh outdoor air in. We're going to pass it through a laminar heat exchanger, so the air that comes in at 0 it's going to get warmed to 55 and the 70 degree airstream is going to get cooled down to 38 degrees. So what you're doing is you you've paid to heat that 100 CFM of stale air. You're trying to extract 70 to 75% of the heat from that airstream to warm that fresh bone dry air up a little bit so it's not dumping 0 degree air into the space. And what those what those do is uh, pull stale, bring in fresh change the heat so it's energy efficient and then it has a drying effect on the house so you can keep your uh, relative humidity under control mm. if you have a masonry home an all brick home uh, sometimes they're needed because a brick structure a masonry structure does not breathe mm. there's no wood framing there's no siding for air to leak around and if it has newer windows there's virtually nothing coming in around the window seals so we see them in masonry homes and then homes that uh, use uh, spray foam insulation, where the house has essentially been caulked shut. Mm-hmm. There is no there is no air infiltration going on. So your teenager jumps in the shower, doesn't turn on the exhaust fan. You think your kitchen hood is too noisy, so you're boiling the spaghetti uh, with without the exhaust fan hood. All that moisture is going into the air, and it can be, can accumulate, mm. and then it sh- reveals itself as. Water vapor uh, condensing on the field of the windows, and sometimes at the base or around the corners where you're, mm-hmm. you're closest to the thermal bridge of like an insulated glass, where your are is right. closest to the thermal bridge, um, and then uh, and then you have window damage, and it's bad news. Okay, what happens is because the s- we'll say the room temperature seventy, surface of your glass is uh, sixty one degrees. If the relative humidity height gets high enough, the dew point raises to, we'll say, sixty-one degrees. Any surface that's at sixty-one degrees, including the window, is going to begin to sweat. Hmm. So, in the winter time, the colder it gets, and I think I mentioned this previously, in the winter time, the colder it gets outside, the less moisture you can safely put into the air. What is the determinant? The determinant is. surface of the glass inside the house okay now if you have a strip of frost at the base of the glass you have a window problem Hmm. i can't get the house dry enough Mm -hmm. in order for that to not occur that means that glass is hitting at least 26 degrees Hmm. because it's not only condensing it's then freezing and then it's frosting and when you get that frost or ice that's accumulated i can't dry your house out enough you would you would have open sores on your body it would be so dry okay it's just not it's not tenable it's a
0: price you pay you know to get that frost to go away right yeah it's a trade-off
2: and we've ran into this before where we've finished up a home and hit 15 degrees below zero outside and windows have some condensation on them the owner is immediately thinking that the windows are not an efficient unit Right. they these windows are junk uh we're talking we're outside of that design envelope that you were talking about before where yeah, there's going to be a few days of the year where you're probably not going to be able to maintain that from a humidity standpoint because they're thinking that it's you know it's still too well the humidity levels I think were in the in the fifteen percent range or something like right. that inside, and they're thinking it's still too humid in here right. too. Well, you're just not going to accomplish that. No, without. no,
1: and, and and what happens is if you think about it, you know, it's common sense has to take over. We don't spend that much time, right? Right. At minus 15 and two so or 3 if, days a year. If in some years not at all. Right. So there's two or three days a year that for the protection of your very expensive windows a little toweling off is going to be in order. Hmm. You know, it's just not worth designing you, you wouldn't be able to afford a structure if we were going to design to right. minus 20 degrees, okay? Yeah. But it's an interesting point that you're pointing out because it'll happen even in, don't be making a decision like I'm talking about, oh, we need to get a heat recovery ventilator, we need to get some outdoor air because there was, well, there was fog all over the windows this morning, mm-hmm. okay? No, we live in Iowa, mm-hmm. and we've all experienced 45 degrees on Tuesday, and we wake up to uh, 15 degrees the next day where a weather front comes through. Mm -hmm. You were fine when it was 40 degrees, now the temperature has dropped that far, Get out a towel, wipe the windows off, let the house stabilize at the new, uh, temperature, uh, gradient that's going on. Okay. You're maintaining 70 inside and now it's 15 outside, not 40 degrees outside, but it does. It highlights the point and that happens. That happens to every house, even, even with an HRV, the thing just simply can't respond quickly enough mm-hmm. to that massive shift in outdoor air temperature. And it used to be that you had to you had to manually. Once I said again, I'm going to I'm going to beat this point home. The colder it gets, the less moisture you can put in the air. So if it's 45 degrees out, okay, you can have 40 percent relative humidity and not have moisture on the windows if they're reasonably decent windows, okay. But if it's 10 degrees, you aren't going to get 40 percent relative humidity. You can't. So what you have to do is you have to go over to the control and change it from 45 percent relative humidity down to down to the safe temperature. And most of them have a temperature, pressure, or a temperature chart. If it's, You're
2: referring to a humidification unit? Yeah, that's the, right. On one, that would, right that
1: one that would add humidity to the moisture. Or add humidity. <laughs> one that would make the water wet. <laughs> <laughs> now the, no, add moisture to the air. Add moisture to the airstream. Okay. So you, you, they have a little chart on there. If it's, if it's uh, we'll say, 15 degrees out, you can have 30% relative humidity. So you adjust it the outdoor temperature and it'll give you the appropriate the newer ones which are quite nice well they'll make that adjustment for you
2: they're looking at the weather
1: they're, they're right sensing now, the outdoor temperature great. and it's pre-programmed in the logic to make that shift mm. for you so you don't have to go down and try to find your find your uh, humidistat and make that adjustment
2: which is completely different than I know what your opinion is on this, but maybe you can alert everybody of mm-hmm. what a, a, a smart thermostat is doing. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're crossing platforms here, but some people think that they put a smart thermostat in their home and they're immediately saving all sorts of energy because it's it's doing things. But this is actually something that is... Really well, adjusting, th-
1: yeah. The smart, some of the smart thermostats they do have a dehumidification function, so you have okay. or, or humidification function. Okay, okay. So you can make the 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 what used to be just a temperature sensitive device. You can make it respond based on the uh, humidity level. So it's going to do temperature and humidity. So if it senses that it needs humidity, it will when on the next cycle uh, the furnace turns on, and you add moisture. Uh, moisture to the air and you only have one control. You don't have to go down in the basement and find the dehumidification or humidification control on the equipment. The one that I'm talking about, the auto track that automatically follows and gives you the appropriate amount. You set the baseline and then you forget about it. It's sensing the outdoor temperature. It knows how much moisture you can safely put in the air. It gives you a digital readout, tells you how much humidity is in the air. And that interesting just to talk about how do we add moisture to the air Uh, what has finally become the industry standards, what they call a bypass humidifier. Mm -hmm. And what it is, a metal mesh pad. It's about an inch and a half, two inches thick. And if there's a call for humidity, water, a solenoid opens and lets water cascade down through this pad, right? Think of a metal sponge. Mm -hmm. Metal sponge and the water cascades down through the pad. It's coated with a, a chemical that breaks the surface tension of the water, so it will evaporate more readily. Mm-hmm. And then any excess water goes down the, down the drain and is collected. And then with that pad is, you you pass heated air through it. So it's a short circuit. So we'll say we put it on the supply air plenum, which is a box that sits on top of the furnace that uh, is on the supply side of the fan. That's where the hot air is, is coming out to fill the ductwork. Passes through that wet pad. The heated air, Right is at a really low rh has a lot of capacity to hold water. a lot of capacity to hold water evaporates that uh water that's on that pad the surface tension chemical you know breaking the surface tension makes it evaporate more readily it is then short-circuited right back into the return air Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it does this little short circuit around the furnace where a bunch of moisture is added to the air and remember we talked about how rapidly humidity diffuses that really moist hot air Enters the return, uh, the cold air return (laughs) duct, (laughs) right? Uh, Which is, it's room temperature air. So if it's 70 in the space, it's going to pull 70 degree air out. We're going to dump 120 degree moisture laden air into that. Remember we talked about vapor pressure. That moisture is immediately going to diffuse into the entire airstream, okay? Because the... The uh, cooler air is drier than this moist air, so it's going to move across that gradient via vapor pressure. It's going to mix and then distribute slightly more humid air to the entire house until eventually, after each heating cycle, it catches up and then maintains that uh, preset humidity level. And like I said, if if you get below 30%, that's when you start waking up with a, a dry nose or sp- static electricity. You know, where you're getting a zap when you go over and touch the the light fixture because you're walking across the carpeted floor. Those are all signs that you're that you're have really low humidity. Hmm. But when it gets bitter cold out, I mean, thirty thirty percent is it. Okay. You know, which is coincidentally, as you know, the threshold at which the cabinet guys start to. Start to get really concerned right. because it starts to dry out the wood. Right, so you can see flooring shrink back or cabinetry uh, shrink back. So maintaining that thirty percent is is uh, uh, critical for human comfort and for the health of your the wood for the structure itself because mm-hmm. if it gets below that and it gets bitter cold you can you can actually hear your house mm-hmm. begin to creak and snap as it it's trying to give up moisture to the to the space mm-hmm. so
0: and you're also making that uh, hot dog on the floor register really plump and juicy at that that's time. <laughs> right
1: you're not gonna dry out your supper <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: so th- those are the ways and they do they do make room humidifiers because we talked about uh, like radiant heat Okay, well, if you don't have ductwork, you aren't going to get a central central uh, humidifier. Right, and they used to make uh, little pans that would clank right on. And a lot of older homes are still there. They don't people don't know what they're for. But you <laughs> put water in it, and the, it evaporates from the heat of the the radiation. Because mm. you can get like room humidifiers. Everybody's seen those. Some are like a drum that right. rolls around, and others are a. Uh, uh, ultrasonic and i think they've made improvements And i don't know for sure but improvements in the ultrasonic type but the ultrasonic type, they bombard the surface of the water with um, ultrasonic waves and it and it immediately boils off the uh, atomizes the water but the problem with those is uh the mineral fallout because they're not just evaporating and leaving the mineral behind like the the bypass humidifier we just talked about where the mineral is left behind and the, it's just water going into the air, those will generate mineral mineral fallout, which means you get a white powder on anything that's statically charged. Hmm. Like the surface of your TV, I can't tell you the number of service calls I've gone on. Wow. <laughs> where this white haze all over everything with a static charge. That's one of the rubs, but I think they've made improvements huh. where you can Throw an additive in the water to, that inhibits that. But those are really your choices, you know.
0: Are there any tricks to sort of get around uh, a condition where you can't have a unit like that retrofitted with a humidifier? I mean, could you just run a humidifier by a return and let the fan go on your?
1: Well, if you're if you have you can do it. If you have duct work, you can do with a bypass humidifier. Oh, I see. Okay. It would just be the hydronic style, you know, with radiators or baseboard heat. Sure. Those are the ones. Uh, but you could conceivably hijack onto because some of those homes have forced air air conditioning. It's just not the heat source. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can hijack those and, and make those work because if you're not adding heat to the to the uh airstream to try to accelerate uh evaporation the only real alternative there is to heat the water so you tap off the hot water tap of a, <laughs> you know somewhere you you get that water and that's where all of the bypass they have you tap a water line and then the solenoid which is controlled by the, the humidistat opens or closes and lets uh you know uh the water flow mm-hmm. but you can do it with hot water to accelerate the evaporative process if you are not adding heat via the airstream
2: hmm. got it all right well dehumidification and humidification 201 or 301 maybe right. i don't know where we got to <laughs> in, the, in the whole line of things but that's the objective that
0: i'm not ready for the test okay sure. yeah
2: well we recorded it so we can listen to it over and over, I guess. Yeah, for sure there's going to be more nuanced questions associated with right, all of this stuff. Right. And that's what we're trying to do is put a platform out where we can have people respond back to and, hey, can you clarify what did, what was meant by sure. this? And So, yeah, we can always revisit for you via that. So, yeah, if we feel like we've touched on this maybe enough, maybe we do jump into n- another one of the topics. And You alluded to it earlier, the geothermal and heat pumps and the those buzzwords that are out there I don't know if it's a buzzword anymore maybe they are Um, depends on maybe where you're at but what is a heat pump what is what is geothermal what is how are they related
1: well we I think we touched about it maybe it was in our our, um, pre-chat but a a heat pump all it is is an air conditioner okay once again I'm going to revisit everyone knows how an air conditioner works blows cold air inside and blows burning hot air outside so it's a a, a device that uh, we reject the heat where we don't want it and we keep the cooling capacity okay it's it's all dependent upon the refrigeration cycle refrigeration cycle it is inescapable you will have one side of the equation that's refrigerating cooling and the other side is rejecting heat okay A heat pump, I could go to your house if all you have is an air conditioner. I can go to your house. I'll remove the furnace and coil that are inside that are providing your cooling. Move them outside. Disconnect the air conditioner. Move it inside, okay? And in the wintertime, we've just shifted the locus of heat rejection. Now we're going to keep the heat, reject that into the structure, and we're going to refrigerate the outdoor air, okay? Okay. There's a device inside of a heat pump. It's a reversing valve that reverses the refrigerant flow for us so I don't have to move any equipment. Hmm. The net result is we have shifted the locus of heat rejection. Now we're keeping the heat in the structure, and we're going to refrigerate the outdoor air. Hmm. So what happens is in that equation is, as you might, it's intuitive. The colder it gets outside, the less heat is available, to warm the outdoor refrigerant. I'm going I'm I'm to <laughs> choose my terms wisely because it really spins some people out. <laughs> we'll just put it this way. It's, the colder it gets outside, the harder it is to refrigerate the air. Okay? Makes sense. The net result is the less refrigeration we're doing, the less heat we have available to reject inside. Mm-hmm. So the colder it gets, the less heating capacity of the heat pump is able to produce. So when you need it most, it's getting weaker and weaker. Got it. Okay.
2: And I've seen that before where they'll say this, this heat pump is designed to heat down to 20 degrees or something like that. Right.
1: Yeah. And that would, that would typically be, you know, yes, yes. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Sure. Um, but what happens is, is, uh, we're in Iowa. So the typical air to air heat pump will meet the full heating capacity of a home above 32 degrees. That's why below the Mason-Dixon line or even below Kansas City, an air-to-air heat pump, and I'm talking air-to-air, meaning the heat transfer is air inside and air outside, okay? Below Kansas City, an air-to-air heat pump will produce 99% of the heat requirement because they spend most of their time above 32 degrees. Mm -hmm. So the capacity drop-off is inconsequential here in Iowa, we've spent a significant amount of time below 32 degrees. You know, even right. if it is not as much time as you think, we fully 50 percent of the heating season is above 32 degrees. Mm. But you get the overnight lows, right? right? So you've you you've got to have it, or the stretches where the daytime highs are 18 degrees. So you have to have an auxiliary heat source with uh, with an air-to-air heat pump. You have to have the capacity to add more heat to the airstream what does that net result is when it's 32 degrees your air to air heat pump is going to be rejecting we'll say 90 degree air into the space okay so you're heating your house as long as the air stays above 90 and at 32 degrees it's right at 90 but it gets to 20 degrees now instead of 90 degree air now it's 84 degree air and once again don't Anybody, I get out a calculator and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm just pulling easy, easy numbers out of the air. So now you can't quite heat your house to 84 degree or 84 degree air won't quite heat your house when it's 20. 90 degree air will heat your house when it's above 32. Once again, let's go back to sizing. In Iowa, I'm supposed to size to minus seven degrees. Remember that differential we talked about earlier? When it's 95, I want to maintain 75 in your house for cooling the heating it's i want to maintain 70 in your house by law i'm supposed to go minus seven okay that's the that's the design once again there you're again handicapped by the size of equipment right so seldom do you have an exact uh, heat loss match the exact capacity of the available equipment so you always i always go to the bigger unit okay so I size to an 85 degree difference as we talked about a 20 degree difference for cooling, 75, 95 for heating. It's an 85 degree window. I want to be able to maintain 70 when it's minus 15 in your house. Hmm. Okay. I'm not supposed to do that, but the the engineers who've come up with the, the, you know, well, I'm supposed to size to this. They aren't the guys getting the call. Hey, I can only get to my house to 62 degrees. What the heck? I just bought this furnace from you. So we go to minus 15, which is going to be the 99th percentile. So, 70 degrees in the house, and it'll work all the way down to minus 15, right? It'll keep my house at 70 degrees. That's what I'm sizing to. So, the air-to-air heat pump, I'm only able to go to 32 degrees. So, I have to have additional heating capacity to go from 32, which we would characterize as the balance point. Above the balance point at 32 degrees, it's all heat pump below balance point it's going to be heat pump plus auxiliary heat source Mm. now you do have the uh, you do have the option of just shutting off the heat pump okay and just running the auxiliary and some people do that typically not a 32 Uh, what they're going to do is maybe protect the equipment because if it's minor or if it's five degrees out you're kind of beating that that uh, heat pump up a little bit, trying to refrigerate five degree air. Mm. But there is a, a, a Mendoza line of sorts where you can calculate because the typical auxiliary heat sources is uh, uh, electric resistance elements, like uh, exactly like a toaster, an electric dryer, an electric oven. Right? You get three point four one BTUs of heat per watt of electricity consumed. Mm. 3.41. Always. Always. And you see these goofy ads. Super extraordinary heat exchanger device, you know, reduce heating costs. by. What channel are you watching for <laughs> yeah. these ads? I, mean, I, I don't know. You've, you've seen it, it. was like they have, they have a ceramic. It's, it's a ceramic disc that gets hot, you know, okay. that glows orange as opposed to uh, an electric wire, right? Uh, nickel carbundium wire that's going to get <laughs> glowing orange when you pass electricity through it doesn't matter if it's resistive It's 3.41 btus per watt the advantage of a heat pump is is you're getting let's say above 32 degrees and it gets better the warmer it is outside but at 32 degrees where they're going to rate it you're getting 12 btus for every watt of electricity consumed so you're getting four times as much heat from the same watt of electricity as if you use electric resistance Okay, so you can calculate at which point, if you're still beating 3.41 BTUs per watt, let the heat pump run. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's going to produce more heat than the electric resistance elements. Then The only concern then becomes, do I want to beat the tar out of my equipment by running it when it's so cold out? So you might decide, okay, to make it easier on the heat pump, not beat it up so bad at 5 degrees, Mm. we're going to go ahead and just run auxiliary heat. But once again, balance point is going to be above balance point. It's all heat pump. Below balance point, it's heat pump plus auxiliary heat. Okay. So we'll say the – remember we talked when it's 20, the air-to-air heat pump is going to produce 84-degree air, right? Won't heat the house because the colder it gets, the more capacity we need. Okay. If it gets to 20, the 84-degree – uh, air is not gonna heat the house, the auxiliary elements kick on and boost the heat content. So the elements are gonna kick on and we'll say, take that 84 degree air and they're gonna bump it to 110. And then you're gonna overwhelm the load, right? And you're gonna satisfy. Then at the end of the cycle, everything's satisfied, you're brought to temperature. The next time you get a call for heat, cause it dropped a degree, the heat pump goes first mm-hmm. and then it operates if it can't maintain, then the auxiliary heat source kicks in to help out. It's what they characterize as true supplemental heat. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So the heat pump goes first. It can't produce enough heat. It's going to do the preheating, so to speak, right? It's going to take it to 84, and then we're going to bump it to 110 with the auxiliary elements. So the heat pump's always going first, and then it's getting help. So it's supplemental heat, okay? If you have like a hybrid set up, then it's a typical hybrid. It's going to be an either or. So at above 32 degrees, we decided that's a rough balance point. Above 32 degrees, it's going to be the heat pump. And then below that, it's going to be the fossil fuel furnace. And the heat pump's going to shut off. Hmm. When it gets complex, I and mean, we're going to get into that more with uh, geothermal, when we talk about that, okay? But the true supplemental heat means the heat pump's always going to try to go first and it's gonna give you as much heat as it can, and then as you need, right? As you need more heat, it's gonna add more heat. Now let's go back just to ram home this idea of balance point. Down in Tulsa, right? Very seldom do they get below 32 degrees, Mm -hmm. okay? So they don't have the need for the, they don't have the need for auxiliary heat because it's so seldom below 32 degrees. So it's all heat pump all the time. Or they need just a tiny little bit of auxiliary heat, right? To help out because it doesn't get to zero in Tulsa. Okay. They're far enough south where the geo or the heat pump is, uh, maintaining all of their heat requirement. Okay. So in their case, remember when we talked about our design window, I want to go 70 degrees when it's minus 15, their design window is going to be 70 degrees, 28. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's their design window. So if you start thinking about this, if I'm sizing to 70, minus 15, the 85-degree window, our furnace is – your heat source is grossly oversized most of the time. Okay?
0: Even most for of the you. Time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's grossly oversized most of the time because I just actually did this uh, – crunch the numbers from NOAA since 1936. Average Iowa winter – we spend 14 total days below 10 degrees,
2: hmm.
1: 14 total days, right? And I just took it in days. It's hours. And the hours, it's not sure. going to be a 10 degree. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be 14 days. It's just, it's going to be the overnight low, overnight low, overnight low. That's it. That's it. I just added them up 14 total days during the entire heating season, not just winter, because winter is whatever, December to March, right? I took the heating season, which was half of October all the way through uh, to April 1st. So it's less than 14 days that we're spending below 10 degrees, Hmm. okay? But we have to be sized for that worst case scenario of... In, in the way, in my sizing philosophy, the way I do it, most of the old timers do it, is to minus fifteen because we're in Iowa. and We all know you could have a five-day stretch where the overnight lows mm-hmm. are minus fifteen. Remembering, if I'm at minus seven, the warmest I'm getting in your house is sixty-two degrees. Because remember, it shifts one degree mm-hmm. at a time. But, you know,
0: is there right an argument? Is there an argument against that? I mean, what what does it hurt to oversize? Is it just Efficiency well, in,
1: when I say by law, I'm talking about uh, the Department of Energy getting involved, ah. right, where they've mm-hmm. called out this, we want you size into the, the 89.8th percentile, and I don't even know what it is because I don't pay any attention to it, but there's a percentile of time that we're supposed to size to, mm-hmm. right, because we can go, we've had fairly recently two winters where it, or it didn't get below zero, ever, The overnight lows did not even, or got to zero or one or two below, and that was it. That was the, they were mild winters, okay? And we're sizing for worst-case scenario. Now you were talking about smarty pants thermostats, right? This is a fun fact. Everybody is encouraged by the utility to get a setback thermostat to set back the uh, temperature when you're going to bed or not there during the day. If you don't have that reserve capacity remember it's only 20 degrees out right but your furnace is big enough to handle an 85 degree disparity between inside and outside temperature you have lots of reserve capacity to snap you back to set point Hmm. what's at work with a uh, with a uh, setback thermostat is the idea is that in order to let's say it's an eight hour, 10 hour period, I'm gonna go nice easy math, 10 hour period, you're gonna reduce the temperature by six degrees, okay? What has to happen in order for that to save you money is if the unit would have needed to run a total of one hour to maintain 70 degrees, right? If it was one hour of runtime, a few minutes each hour, right, of the 10 hours, right? In order for it to save you any money, it has to jump out of that six degree hole In less than one hour Mm. of runtime, okay? In other words, the colder it gets outside, the less money you're going to save. And it can actually get cold enough where it's costing you money. Mm. Because when you let the temperature drop six degrees, it's not just the air. The furniture has gotten that cold. Mm. The structure, the walls, the ceiling, everything has gotten that cold, and that all has to... Uh, be warmed back up and it's easy if you've ever observed like a Saturday morning you're up early and you hear the furnace kick on and it's climbing out of the hole and it shuts off and it's not even off for three minutes and it's right back on Mm. and that's because everything in the space has begun to absorb that heat Mm -hmm. and so I'm not a big believer in setback the the promise of setback thermostats is three to nine percent right there's, there's the only way you're saving 9% on a of, setback thermostat is if you're on vacation and let your house go to 50 degrees three weeks of every month of the heating season. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. not there. Especially there's... when you lose a goldfish. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> there's all sorts of heartache. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to have a funeral and right. put the little guy down the toilet. you have a story for us? <laughs> I do. I do. I'll save it, though. <laughs> There's just not that much money to be saved. And myself, I mean, I, I would rather not get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom in freezing cold. And it, all you got to do is let's just assume your heating bill is is uh, $100. Okay, so it costs you $100. The best statistically it could do is save you $9. Okay. It's actually much more realistic the way it winds up happening is it's going to save you $1.50 a month. Okay, divide that into thirty days. Gotta buy a goldfish. <laughs> divide divide thirty days. Divide the month. Sold, yeah. yeah, and you're you know you're you're saving three cents a day. Yeah, you know it's just not there. It is greener. There's no question. You're going to burn slightly less fuel. Hmm. It is a green. Do it for greenness, not. Because there's, I mean, the average, uh, you know, what's a Nest cost?
2: $500? No, I think they're like 200 or something. Oh, they, they've, cause they've come down. There's big, serious know, price pressure.
1: Yeah, there's serious price pressure. And I can tell you about smart thermostats, too. It's a really interesting story. But they're never going to save enough money to justify, mm-hmm. right? The only thing that, from my perspective, is being able to adjust your thermostat from your phone or to go to... F- Arizona for a two-week vacation, not have to have someone come visit your house because the thermostat's going to ping you with an email. Mm. Derek, do something! It's forty degrees in here. <laughs> right? That's that's the reason to do it. Or if you're it's Saturday night and it's popcorn and movie night, right? Nobody's got to get up to go change the thermostat. You can do it from your phone. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the promise. Okay, mm-hmm. they're never going to justify their cost in in energy savings. Just mm-hmm. not going to happen.
0: I know that we, just for, you know, an example, um, every night, all our bedrooms are upstairs, you know, Mm -hmm. it's two stories. We always turn down to 65, 66 at night because if we didn't, it's pretty hot upstairs, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where all our bodies are gravitating to upstairs. And then when nobody's on the main level, the thermostat then kicks on. Um, more often and, well, then and, and cooked yeah. out. Yeah, you know? and you have
1: overnight lows. The temperature's dropping outside, yeah. and you can get cooked out. So in my point being, I do the exact same thing. I've set my thermostat back to like 66 degrees, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go to 60 or 62 because mm-hmm. I don't want to get up into a freezing room in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. But I like it a little bit cooler. That's the reason to do it. The idea that you're going to save a bunch of money is just, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. It's sure. statistically impossible to justify it. Mm-hmm. Justify it because it's one less thing you have to put on your plate to remember to do before climbing into bed. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure, you know, without it, the number of times, did you turn the, <laughs> did, you, did you remember? And then there's a fight over who's going to get back up go downstairs. <laughs> Boy, this is hitting and pretty, pretty close to home down. right now. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So it's it's their convenience. Do it for convenience. It's not okay. going to save you any money.
0: Good. So this has been this has been great having you here, Steve. Uh, I think we've got enough information here to make a lot of people's heads spin, so uh. <laughs>
1: I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re- reiterate it. it, it, it the stuff is knowable; yeah. it really is. Most of it is not uh, dense physics. You know, like I said, just just remember: you know how an air conditioner works. You don't even know that you do. Blowing cold air inside and hot air outside. You know, it's understandable, and it can inform. Because that's the, fundamentally is the idea: is arm you with enough information. To, to make a, a reasonably informed decision. You yeah. know?
0: And we look forward to doing exactly that. So I just want to say thank you. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for Steve. having me, guys. Until next time. Avec.io is a production of Avec Design Build, an architect led design build firm that believes in working alongside every entity involved in a project. As a team, with each other for the same end goal thanks for listening